It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the party. I'm Sam Ekstrom of Locked On Sports Minnesota. More people just slinging arrows at Kirk Cousins. I won't stand for it. I'm Luke Braun of Locked On Vikings, and shoot, I might stand for it. <laughs> this is Arif Hassan with Pro Football Network. My Canaan event was Brett Favre against the 49ers. All that, and was Quazy planning on this rebuild all along? Coming up on the Minnesota Football Party. Locked On Sports Minnesota Podcast. It's endless Minnesota Vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts. It's time for the Minnesota Football Party. It's your guys hanging out talking next level Vikings football. So join in with Pro Football Network's Arif Hassan, Locked On Vikings' Luke Braun, Superior Sports Talk's Luke Inman, and Vikings insider Sam Ekstrom, plus the biggest names in Minnesota football for the Minnesota Football Party. And it starts now. Welcome into the Minnesota Football Party on a Monday, a new week here on Lockdown Sports Minnesota. We're glad you've joined us. If it's your first time, welcome. If you're an everydayer, welcome. I'm Sam Ekstrom, covering the Vikings here at Lockdown Sports Minnesota. I'm also on the Ron Johnson Show Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. We've got Arif Hassan, Pro Football Network, at Arif Hassan NFL. We've got Luke Braun, Lockdown Vikings host, at Luke Braun NFL, talking Vikings on here, the Minnesota Football Party. And today, still no shortage, even into the month of June, we've got plenty of talkers. The Dalvin Cook uh, release is final. I think we've we've digested that plenty, but what does it represent as this sort of pseudo-rebuild now is ongoing for the Minnesota Vikings? Was Quasi planning this method all along when he got the job going into 2022? Kirk Cousins insulted by the Madden franchise, insulted by Cam Jordan, we will talk about the Kirk haters coming up on today's Minnesota football party. And also maybe uh, some thoughts on the TJ Hawkinson and Justin Jefferson contract talks and what these recent cuts might mean for that. We are brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook partner of Locked On. Make every moment more at FanDuel.com slash Locked On. You can get started today. All right. Let's talk about the, uh, let's talk about the Kirk stuff. Kirk Cousins not only was shown getting buried by who was it on uh, on the Madden trailer? Uh, uh, Michael Parsons. I think it was, think it was the cow. Yeah, Micah Parsons or the Cowboys in general. I think it was an interception, which after sick. the uh, twenty twenty two game. Fair enough. And if that wasn't bad enough today, Cam Jordan quoted as saying, "We love slow decisions as defensive linemen. We call him Kirk Cousins, as in." That is the shorthand for when a quarterback makes a slow decision. I love this because, and I don't actually love it. I think it's like kind of petty and petulant and a little stupid, but um, I love it because it probably means that Cam Jordan had this joke with his defensive line room, which included none other than Marcus Davenport himself, who now goes up. Everybody panic. There's a schism in the locker room. That was like straight George Costanza that you just channeled. That was unbelievable. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was, that was, I was set up. Yeah. Luke's getting upset. Um, I like the, the idea that, because functionally you would just never be able to sign free agents, right? If you're trying to avoid people <laughs> that have ever made fun of Kirk Cousins. <laughs> like this, <laughs> or like, I mean, it's true. Basically, every team finally tank like we've been begging them to do for a decade. Hey, who was the is corner this, that loved Kirk Cousins' play action? Was it was it Josh Norman who yeah. like complimented him? No, it was uh, Jalen Ramsey. Jalen right? Ramsey he was, loves like, roasting Kirk every quarterback, and then he got to Kirk Cousins. He's like, that guy's pretty good at play action. Which <laughs> I yes, <laughs> which is like, a longer discussion, but. The, the thing that was really interesting about the Jalen Ramsey thing is that Kirk Cousins is one of the few quarterbacks whose performance under play action is a standard deviation better 
than his performance under under center play um, on a consistent basis year to year. It was like him and Peyton Manning were the only ones whose performance under play action were like consistently enormously better. Like everyone's better under play action, but the degree to which he was, was wild. And so at the time that Ramsey had said that, like, it was just like, oh, there's like all this like crazy statistical evidence that Kirk Cousins is like uniquely good at play action, which, hey, maybe they should have thought about that last year. I don't know. The uh, the the slow decision making thing, I think it's kind of one of the narratives that's followed Kirk maybe a little longer than deserved. I think Kirk has actually progressed in a lot of areas as a Minnesota Viking. I think that's very fair criticism. Like if Cam Jordan is watching tape of the 2018 Viking Saints game where Kirk was really bad, um, yeah, fair criticism. 2018 tape all the way through, fair criticism. Hey, have the, have the Vikings played the Saints since then, do you think? What happened in those games? <sighs> Vikings <laughs> win, Vikings win. Yeah. <laughs> who's, who's counting? Yeah, I don't know. Who's counting? Um, I think slow decision-making, like, I think Kirk did not process well early in his career as a Viking. Like, he would he would often say, yeah, you know, I... I uh, I read I read the safety one way and I threw it up and oh he was actually there like I think he was a, a, a beat off early in his career I think some of that stuff's gotten better not perfect um, but I think Braun is this a thing is this a thing to like assume that oh if Cam Jordan says it and I mean this is how everybody feels around the league the point Cam Jordan is making too and it's important to distinguish is slow and right. Because he was talking yes. to other defense to to young defensive linemen and essentially saying, you know, you'd rather be fast and decisive, even if you're wrong, rather than being right. But it doesn't matter because you know your window has closed essentially. Um, and I think that that did happen to to Kirk Cousins a decent amount. I think he was better about it last year. If anything, he rushed a little bit sometimes last year, especially when he was trying to like throw uh, like a cover two corner in conflict and like a high low or something like that. That led to a couple of interceptions actually. Uh, early in the season but um i i think that yeah the the reputation for kind of hanging on to the ball waiting to see a guy that you know is going to be open but waiting to see it come open not having that anticipation all that stuff was like yeah really characteristic i don't know doesn't seem like it's that mean of a thing to say anyways like i don't know this feels like I, it's 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 like a whatever thing engage but with the, but the but the problem is like you know, I think statistically you would you would, I think, at a bare level, take a look at Kirk Cousins' passing numbers over the years as time to throw and say, hey, that's actually pretty long. It's pretty late relative to other quarterbacks. But if you eliminate play action, Kirk Cousins over the past three years is consistently in the top half of the league. And in 2021, he was like fourth or fifth in terms of fastest time to throw without play action. Right. And so um, yeah, I mean it feels like a play calling stat to me. It is. I mean, it, it very much is. I mean, there's five step drops, seven step drops. Yeah. You can do now throws. You could like, if you're in an RPO offense, like I, I haven't looked it up. I'm sure um, I'll be, I'll be borne out by this, but I imagine like Jalen Hurts' time to throw on play action is much faster because play action and RPOs are tagged the same in a lot of databases. Um, even though he has a high play action rate, because uh, you know, most play actions uh, for most quarterbacks in the league are, you know, they're, you're dropping back. It's at least seven steps or you're rolling out. Uh, and for the Eagles, a lot of their play actions are RPOs where you're making a very quick one-step decision about whether or not to hand the ball off of a shotgun or to throw the ball right away, which is a much quicker. And so it, it very much is a play calling stat. And so if you've got a higher degree of bootleg play action in your playbook, like Cousins has had over the years, he's going to have not just a longer time to throw on play action, but he's going to have a longer time to throw in general because there's more play action. So, yeah, statistically, Cousins does take a long time to throw when you control for, like, a lot of different factors. It's like whatever. There are quarterbacks that hold on to the ball too long, right? Because, the like, it's not just play calling. There are quarterbacks that do that. If you hold on to the ball longer than your offensive linemen are set for, that's a problem. Uh, and so, yeah, this is a, like famously was a huge problem with Carson Wentz. It seems to be a problem with Trey Lance. I'm not just picking an NDSU quarterbacks. Those were literally the ones yes, you are. No, no. Those are literally the ones that they came <laughs> to mind. Motive. They them. No, 
Um, those are the ones that, that, that came to my mind because that was a, a huge problem that Carson Wentz had that he didn't have in his 2017 season and then just kind of returned uh, and, and created a big problem. Teddy kind of has that problem. It's really difficult to identify that problem for a while because he was in a seven-step drop offense uh, yeah. in, in, with the Vikings. And so it was like, is he holding on to the ball too long or is is it the offense? And it was both. Both of the North. things were the problem. So, um, so yeah, it, it's a, it is an, an issue that quarterbacks have. It's not one that I think is specific to Cousins, but also I wouldn't expect someone who's doing just like a quick diss at a camp that everyone's going to relate to to need to do that research, and I don't hold it against Camp Jordan for not looking at the play-action splits. He it's wasn't funny. looking at PFF's time-to-throw stats. Uh, by the That's way, weird. Jalen Hurts, 28th last year. This isn't filtered for play-action. Overall, 28th last year in time-to-throw in the year prior, 2021. 28th fastest? R- right, 28th fastest, which is to say As in he's a slow, okay. And then, and then his, his not his rookie year, but the year when he started the whole year, twenty twenty one, last in uh, time to throw. Cool. Interesting. Um, I want to ask you guys a question. I want you to get in Quasi's mind. Twenty twenty two comes around, he gets the job, and he seemingly makes the decision that he's not going to blow it up. He's not going to tear it down, which at the time was kind of a common line of thinking. New regime, perfect time to make some clean cuts with guys. No need to re-sign Patrick Peterson. Can let some guys walk. Um, didn't happen. Didn't happen. He put together a team that could win, and they won 13 games. Do you think the plan all along was to kind of compete year one, maybe buy some patience with the fan base buy some kind of equity and then make the moves or do you think something influenced kind of this this mentality going into this offseason what 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 do you think the plan was all along or do you think it was influenced by what happened last year arif uh, i think you kind of know the answer based off of the way you asked the question yeah no i, I think that quasi didn't have you know, um, 100% latitude on how he was going to approach building the team. I think that there's a very high likelihood that when he was hired, there was a directive from ownership to try and see if they can make it happen, make it to the playoffs with Kirk Cousins, and then figure it out from there. I think that if they had had, you know, if they'd had a four and 13 season instead of a 13 and four season, they would have readily blown it up. They wouldn't have been in a, um, you know, kind of rebuilding while we're winning sort of competitive rebuild or whatever you want to call it, right? Um, they wouldn't have had that. Um, they would have blown it up, right? But now that they're in the spot where they have to, uh, and, and and Quasi, I think, in good faith, attempted to build a team that would do that, and he did do that, right? Like there were there were a couple of like really quick rentals, some veteran signings. They got rid of players that didn't fit the philosophy. Fine, right? Um, but I, I think that doing so increased the odds that this year you'd have to make more dramatic moves, and they did, right? Uh, and so I think he's still under a directive to continue a sort of competitive rebuild, but to be aggressive about finding long-term pieces while at the same time remaining competitive. Um, it is a very fine line to walk. It's really difficult tightrope to, to manage. Um, I thought, you know, when in the off season last year, I thought he wasn't doing a very good job of managing it. And I didn't think that was necessarily his fault. I think that was an ownership thing. Obviously, you know, I turned out to be wrong. He did a phenomenal job managing it with a lot of help from luck. Um, both that Andrew Luck is no longer with the Colts. They needed that win, but also, you know, uh, <laughs> Lucky Jackson's on the team Goodness this year. Gracious. Yeah. Can he get help from Luck again? I uh, probably not. You know, if he turns out to be a core piece, why not? Or but, as Dean Tani uh, tweeted, Lucky Johnson. <laughs> hey, even better, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> better to be lucky than good. Um, no, I, I think that, uh, this is kind of the fallout from having to to have both priorities in your brain when you're attempting to build a team is that you end up in situations where you don't know if you've got the ability to extend someone like a Daniel Hunter, where you've got to move players like Zadarius Smith and Dalvin Cook. Everyone knows you're going to move them, and so the price is not going to be great, um, where you have to turn over the secondary because, you know, you've, it turns out you put all your chips on the wrong defensive coordinator, you know, those kinds of things. But I, I think that he has been influenced, as you would say, um, to pursue the strategy that he's pursuing, which is a very difficult strategy. Um, Bron, 
if the Vikings had gone four and thirteen last year, do you think they would have done anything differently this offseason? Like it, it kind of feels like they approached this like a team that went four and thirteen a little bit. Like what what moves wouldn't they have made or would have made? Yeah, I, I don't know how much influence that is having because from where I'm sitting watching this, it, it looks like the kind of classic thing you would see if a new GM comes in and takes over a books with super, remember how top heavy was the whole thing, super top heavy books, right? All these big contracts. And the kind of two ways you can do it is I guess you could Ryan pulls it and just trade all of them away, eat a whole bunch of dead cap, have an embarrassing season, but that's the directive, right? Don't be embarrassing. Um, and instead, you know, take a little more time and get out of those contracts in whatever way feels most efficient. It wouldn't, it, it's more efficient to cut Dalvin cook this year than it would have been to cut him last year. Yep. Um, and I think when you look at each of those situations individually, the timing of those moves starts to make more sense than trying to mash them all into one, like super homogenous strategy of, of are we, or aren't we like, you know, we're going to sit down after our 13 and four season and have the big meeting where Quasey and Kevin O'Connell sit down with the Wilson and ask, do we want to win games this year? Uh, rather look at those individual situations and say, yeah, okay. When did it start to make sense to cut these guys? Uh, when was what's, it efficient what's the time to... horizon? Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and I think what's most curious to me is what Quasi's plan is for like 2025 and beyond where they have like nothing under contract. Like that is a complete mystery for who is, who that's going to involve. I'm sure we, that will change in the next month or so. Uh, yeah. And, as, and I'm also confident he's got, you know, all of it sketched out, right? Like, yeah, pencil, I, I'm right? sure there's but, something. Yeah. I'm super curious to find out what it is yeah. because right now we have, it's a, it's a total enshrouded mystery. Um, but getting out of the contracts that he inherited isn't shouldn't be a confusing move. That's that's a pretty standard thing to do. And it's just a matter of not doing it right away. And then, you know, having a, a three win season when you've still got Justin Jefferson on a rookie contract, Darius on a rookie contract, you still have can get play out of, uh, you know, Harrison Smith. And like time is not an infinite resource in the NFL. It is for us as fans because you can't fire us, but uh, it's not infinite in the you're NFL for anybody in who here is with me. There. <laughs> yeah, you're stuck with us. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and so wasting a year like that is not going to be something that I mean, that's that's the whole Wilf's like point, right? Uh, and and that's where that directive comes from. But I think if you look at it more as like a two, three year plan to kind of transition into whatever Quasi's next thing is, you go, oh, okay, yeah, that actually all makes I, sense. I think we would be a lot more critical, I think, of the approach to not really do anything to rebuild last year had the Vikings been mediocre. Like the ride was so exhilarating that it was very easy to overlook what wasn't getting done for the future. But Bron, you make a good point too that, like we we projected all of this. We projected that okay, Eric Hendricks is kind of in a big year. Like he needs to be good this year, or else his contract is very, very cuttable. We projected that, oh, Dalvin Cook's moving into a pass first offense now, and he's really expensive. He might be the one guy who doesn't fit the plan going forward. Like, so all of it did did make sense. And and I think it just kind of looks askew when you look at just the difference of approach from one year to the next. I want to ask you guys a question after I, I get our FanDuel read in. I'm going to ask you whether this pseudo-rebuild affects at all the talks with Jefferson and Hawkinson and whether they are viewing it kind of pessimistically or negatively from their standpoint. I'm going to ask you that after I tell you about FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook partner of Locked On Nuggets, trying to close out the NBA Finals tonight. They're favored by eight and a half at FanDuel. You can wager there and in hundreds of other ways as well. NHL, Stanley Cup Final, that's going to Game 5-2. And you've got Major League Baseball lines every single day. FanDuel.com slash locked on. You're a new customer. You can get a no-sweat first bet. Up to $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Yes, $2,500. No better place to bet the playoffs than at 
FanDuel Sportsbook. Easy to use. Tons of great promotions. In addition to that, no sweat first bet, and you get paid instantly when you win. Check it out at FanDuel.com slash locked on. No sweat first bet. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This Lockdown Podcast is brought to you by Home Chef. Now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down, how are your resolutions coming? One of mine was to order less takeout, cook more at home. But I'll be honest, I haven't been consistent. That is until I found Home Chef. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box, and Free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. All right. I'll restate the question. Arif Hassan, Hawkinson negotiating, presumably Jefferson negotiating, presumably. Do you think it matters to their camp that the Vikings are in a little bit of an identity crisis, that they're kind of in rebuild mode? Do you think that changes their mind about whether they want to be here long-term or are they young enough, they see the money, they want the money, um, that this is going to happen? Um, I would say it, it, I think it'd be naive to say that it has no impact. I think that, you know, players always want to be in environments where they think that they'll be able to win, but I think it's probably a pretty small impact. Honestly, I think that, um, you know, they see uh, that they, they see that like, you know, the, the team is kind of moving in a weird direction. They probably would more want security from the agent to make sure that the team doesn't do the same thing to them more than anything else. Uh, and I think that if you offer them, you know, a good enough contract, they would sign. Maybe it increases, you know, the, the types of guarantees that they would want or the total number on the contract or something like changes the situation. But I don't think it makes it substantially harder. It makes it a little bit more difficult. But I think that, you know, for the most part, you know, players have a strong reason to stay with the team that they've personally been successful with whether or not the team has been successful. And honestly, players pay more attention to a team record than they do on projections for what the records next year is going to be. And so they see that they're on a 13 and 14. Yeah. Dalvin cook's not there. There's a Jerry Smith is not there, but primarily speaking, when you talk to players, they see this team as one that's poised for success because they were successful last year. Uh, and so I, I think it's not a huge problem, but I do think that it plays a role in how you treat your veterans also plays a role. And so I think that that might matter. It might change the way those contract negotiations are happening, but I don't think that it's going to make it impossible or even that much more difficult to, to extend Jefferson or Hawkinson. Ron. Yeah. I think when you have, excuse me, when you have the, um, the pay cut approach about a pay cut thing happen, you know, say, Hey, pay cut or cut you kind of deal then every other player goes, okay, I want to set things up so that that doesn't happen to me. That that was the key problem with the Zadarius Smith contract. That's why he wanted more guarantees um, where he, uh, that he got in, in Cleveland. Um, but like that issue, whether, whether or not they're like rebuilding or tanking or going all in or all of that, that's an ESPN talking point. That's not going to be nearly as impactful as like the stuff we've talked about, about, Okay, what what about my security? Can I be with this? Because even if you say this year is just going to be a lost year, whatever, if you're going to be super pessimistic about the Vikings, which I don't think anybody in, in the locker room is going to, that's just not how people are wired. But if you're going to be super pessimistic about the Vikings, okay, what about 2024, 2025, where I'll still, you know, if I'm Justin Jefferson, I'm signing a four, maybe five year deal. They're not going to be rebuilding for five years. That's that would be a failure. Um, So, you know, guarantee me what I need. Give me that security. And it, uh, that becomes, you know, a the, the fan duel win total becomes a drop in the bucket. And yeah, historically young stars entering, you know, their first big contract negotiation, 
not typically playing hardball as much uh, as a veteran who maybe wants to win a ring. So in that sense, I think you're both right. I don't think it's going to have a massive impact. But let me ask you this as a ripple effect. So let's say Jefferson sets the market. Let's say Hawkinson either sets the market or is like right on the edge of top market value for tight end. Does that ensure that KJ Osborne is not back on this team in 2023? And beyond that, does it send a message that this team is not planning on having a big Kirk Cousins number on the books much longer? Um, I think if you really were motivated to, you could figure out a way to make all of those pieces fit. But yeah, I, I think I mean it kind of depends on on yeah. just Osborne's usage this year. I think that'll kind of define whether or not he sees a long term future. It actually, yeah. what kind of this reminds me of is actually Jarius Wright. You know, the Vikings saw him as a wide receiver three. He was a very capable wide receiver three. They signed him to an extension and like immediately regretted it, and then <laughs> moved him like a year later after that huge extension. Yeah. And then regretted Weird. moving him. They desperately needed yeah. him. And they didn't have a wide, they were like Aldrich yeah. Robinson and Kendall Wright, for... Michael Floyd. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Help the kombucha king. Yeah. <laughs> Where's Treadwell? We want Treadwell back. Yeah, yeah. right. So um I, I you know, it's a different front office. I don't know if learned their lesson is an appropriate kind of um, but you know, it yeah, reminds to, me we of have that. to relearn a lot of lessons. That's part of the cost of changing GMs. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I, I think that, uh, it really just depends on, on how much Osborne is used this year. And I think that that's going to kind of determine whether or not, you know, he and his agency a future with the Vikings. Um, if not, you know, I would think that they would move on. I think that they would try to secure a short-term prove a deal to demonstrate that they can be a wide receiver three or even wide receiver two somewhere. Um, that I think in order to secure a long-term contract beyond that. So I think that that's kind of the trajectory that'll go on. Yeah. I I think will KJ Osborne get extended is a KJ Osborne question more than it's a Justin Jefferson or a Hawkinson or a Kirk question. Mm -hmm. Let's see what happens in 2023. I mean, if he shows out, if he blows up, if he gets 800 yards and yeah, we can like really as a wide receiver three, right? Like we can talk about it. If he, you know, plays so well that he keeps Jordan Addison off the field. And now we're having that conversation, you know, that can change the dynamic but if jordan addison explodes and kj osborne's just kind of rotational gets 400 yards and whatever but it feels like it has a lot more to do with that than any of these other contracts you can pay more than one guy i'd like to see if there's a team maybe there is um is there a team out there that has a appropriately paid veteran quarterback two handsomely paid receivers let's say eight figures each and a tight end, eight figures, and two tackles. Like that, that, that could be a future path for the Vikings. Like all of those contracts could overlap at the same time. I wonder if that exists in the NFL. It, like it, it feels like at, at some How many juncture, teams would have that many guys worth paying? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's like an interesting, yeah. Like I, I would see, like if you had a team with that many guys worth paying, that would be the test case, right? Because then you could see, mm-hmm. well, well, could they pay them all or did they have to let guys go or whatever? But that's that's qu- quite the offense. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, it's, we'll, I mean, we'll see what, I guess, the Bengals do down the road, right? Um, with, like, extensions for, like, Jamar Chase yeah, and right. Joe Burrow and stuff like that. That and is they're, like, T. Higginses. And... Yeah, right. And, and there's been, like, trade talks about T. Higgins because of the, you know... Well, and they're going to trade for Justin Jefferson. We know that once he oh, demands right, a trade because yes, the Vikings are naturally. Yes, yeah. that's obviously true. Um, but yeah, and there's a, a trade market for T. Higgins has developed in the imaginations of sports writers, which is not to say they're wrong. It's just I don't haven't seen any concrete reporting that that's actually happening um, because of the potential ramifications for how young that team is and how many contract extensions that they have to work. The Bengals at least are actually fairly good about telegraphing things. Like it was pretty clear, for example, that they were not going to offer a contract extension to Jesse Bates after they drafted a first round safety the year before his contract expired. (laughs) So, you know, it's, you know, sometimes these things are in the the Bengals in particular, just like, Hey, we, we're not a cash flow team. You know, we're not a, not a team that provides upfront guarantees. They're just going to be comfortable with that. (laughs) So they do the uh, money really weird. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. Um, I mean, it's, you know, it's one of the 
less, I don't want to say poorer. It's one of the less uh, flush teams, Mm -hmm. um, even among family owned teams. It's just Mm kind of one of the things that happens as a result of that. Um, But yeah, no, it's, uh, it would be interesting to see kind of what the examples around the NFL uh, for that would look like. Um, you know, the Packers have done it with two tackles, a franchise quarterback and one receiver, although, of course, they didn't manage to keep that receiver. Um, so I don't know. It's uh, it, it's it's interesting. To see it, all five on second year contracts at high levels is like just difficult to find because those players are by the very nature of what we're discussing rare. Yeah. And and Osborne does feel like the expendable piece. Like and I guess I let me put it to you guys. Would you risk withholding Hawkinson a contract in order to see how it plays out with Osborne? Which would you value yeah. more if Osborne plays like a bona fide wide receiver to thousand yard guy? Would you rather have Hawkinson already locked up and then possibly lose Osborne? Or would you wait and, and see what happens? And lose both. Yeah. yeah. It feels like one is strictly better because the, the yeah. world where TJ Hawkinson gets the extension and then KJ Osborne is also good. Yes, please give me that world. Give me too many players that are good to deal with. That's a good problem to have versus the situation where we got super stingy and we couldn't commit to anyone. And now everyone's gone and we suck. The one where you don't suck, please. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, like, and also it's like, we know Hawkinson is good. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. There's not an unknown there. Uh. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that that's fair. And I will say this, too. If you don't have the Kirk money on your books, aside from, I don't know, dead cap hit next year. That's still weird to me. Um, if you don't have that money on your books long term, you might be able to fit it all in. I mean, that that's what you do when you have rookie quarterback money is you can have some luxury items, especially if they're trading Daniil Hunter. You know, your defense is going to be one of the leanest cost defenses in the NFL um, with very little committed beyond next year. It's insane. Uh, And so you might have like a $150 million offense and a $50 million defense. And that just might be how you roll into 2024, uh, which is kind of wild. Why don't we do uh, one of these? Because we haven't in a while. Analytics fans rejoice. It's time to get educated. Whoa, you're blowing my mind right now. With the nerdy stat of the day. And be sure to comment, folks, uh, what you think about who the Vikings should prioritize in free agency, in contract negotiations. Comment below on Locked on Sports Minnesota here on YouTube or free and available wherever you get your podcast. Nerdy stat of the day. We haven't done this in a bit. Uh, Offseason doesn't produce as many stats, but we'll see what Arif Hassan has for us. Uh, before we do that, I'm going to have to do the stat real quick and then bounce because I have to cover the Daniel Hunter thing. Sam, do you have the chat open up on the side? Like it feels like you're not responding to the chat that we have on the side. I thought you'd ah. be jumping to play the noise. Yeah. Three messages. Uh, Daniel, <laughs> H- wait, hold on. <laughs> oh, I hope you keep all of this. Feels like a great opportunity. There we go. Daniil Hunter, (laughs) uh, reportedly from uh, Tom Pelissero. Daniil Hunter will be holding out for mandatory minicamp. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And as expected, right? Yeah. With Daniil Hunter holding out, I think that it is appropriate to have a Daniil Hunter-specific nerdy stat of the day. Let's go back to pass rush win rate. We covered this a lot last year during the season um, to discuss kind of, you know, the pass rush that the Vikings were producing, whether or not Ed Donatel was not doing enough to defend Daniil Hunter to the press when actually Hunter was actually playing fine. And it was weird that he was like, yeah, you'll play fine soon. And it's like, no, he's already been playing fine. Well, we've got the season long numbers, his pass rush win rate, 15.9% per PFF, not per next gen stats. They're two different um, ways to evaluate pass rush win rate. But, you know, really briefly, the idea is that we measure whether or not a pass rusher gets past the person that they are supposed to block, regardless of whether or not it creates a pressure or a sack or a hit within the first two and a half seconds of a play. Um, that is more stable and predictable um, from year to year, right? It predicts itself better than pressures predict pressures or sacks predict sacks. And it predicts pressures and sacks better than anything else. And so 
um, his pass rush 115.9% was above average. It was not amazing. It was all right. Um, that is, I think, positive, relatively speaking, given the situations that he was put in um, and, and the fact that he wasn't ever the spinner, right? That was always Darius Smith who was able to hunt matchups. He was meant to draw um, attention and blocks. And so um, that, I think, is, is, a, is a good enough place to be, especially with the 85 total pressures he finished the season with, for us to be reasonably confident that um you know he's a he's probably going to be a top 10 pass rusher this year in a system that is meant to more likely emphasize his ability to get to the quarterback i love it um arif you have to go right about daniel hunter yeah all right all See right you next time go handle the breaking news and then it was two luke braun mm-hmm. remains with us uh luke braun just quick reaction to the holdout uh, i don't think this is a jaw-dropping move but yeah it does tell you that nothing's going to get done in the next couple of days here at the 11th hour. I, I, yeah, I would have been surprised if Hunter showed up. I think if Hunter does show up, that probably means we're getting extension news that day, but considering uh, what an off season injury did to contract negotiations with Daniel Hunter last time, it is difficult to blame him. Uh, you know, it, there is so much about Daniel Hunter and I think people are really, really uncharitable to him with this whole situation. Uh, he signed two contracts. One, he was like 21 and he signed a bad deal when he, in 2018, he signed a deal he shouldn't have signed. And then when it was time to finally get that third contract, he was dealing with the, uh, the herniated disc or the, the neck injury. Yeah. Injury fallout. Yep. You're just not going to get the value. That's just economics. He, he either says yes to that deal or he doesn't get a contract. And now he's injured and going into free agency. I mean, people have to understand that he wasn't an idiot, that this is not a uh, a college kid that took out a student loan that you're being a boomer and saying pay it back. No, this is this is the economics of the situation. That was the choice that he had. And now he is now that he is healthy, he's trying to capitalize. All of this is normal, natural in the way that players should and do behave. Um, so not showing up to mandatory minicamp. It's like Daniel Hunter doesn't need mandatory minicamp. He's he doesn't need the install. He'll be all right. Uh, but if it, any team sanctioned work where he doesn't have full control over the over what he is doing, um, and the the work that he's doing is going to carry a greater injury risk. He can control his injury risk directly if he doesn't show up to mandatory minicamp and instead, you know, practices on his own. And that's going to be the wise thing for him to do until a deal gets worked out. Will a deal get worked out? I don't know, but the extra holdout pressure, maybe that, that puts some extra pressure on the Vikings and they actually get something going, but like they're trying to, they are actively negotiating a deal, right? Um, As far as we last heard. I I'm looking at the line tonight in the Nuggets heat game. Bear with me. This is going to mean something. Okay. Are minus three seventy five to win heavy favorites. Heat are plus 300 to win on the road. I kind of think that a, that Daniil Hunter remaining with the team is like a heat win tonight. And I think that Hunter being dealt is the Nuggets winning tonight. I think they're about minus 375 favorites to deal Daniil. You think? I don't think so. You don't because think? Because I, I think the Vikings, rec- I mean, I don't know. It, it requires one of two things to happen. Either a team comes in with a godfather offer like with Diggs. Or contract negotiations stall fall completely out and like totally fall apart and everyone is mad the latter we have basically no evidence of of even starting toward that all speculation and reading instagram likes which i'm not going to put any stock into I, i think it would have to become like a personally bad situation uh so I, I I can't see a minus 375 that everybody gets super pissed off here. We're just trying to work out a contract. This is all business. See, I, I believe that there's a negotiation. I don't believe that it's a negotiation that is going to be receptive to or Daniel's people will be receptive to. Like, I, I don't. Well, certainly hasn't yet. Right. Like, right. I have not right. offered and, enough yet, but. Uh, cor- correct. And I think that because Daniel is probably a sought-after asset. He's different than Zadarius, Kendricks, Thielen, and Cook in that I think there's real value there. I think that the 
in a vacuum, maybe the going rate would be a second round pick. But if there are enough suitors, it's pretty easy just to say, hey, guys, we've got second round offers from all of you. It's going to take a first to be the winner of this. And and that might happen. And if that happens, then I think it becomes a real like uh, a real thing. Then I think you seriously entertain that offer and probably take that offer. And maybe it's a team that could land you higher in the first round, better chance at a first round quarterback. There's just a lot of good stuff that can happen in that case. And the financial flexibility too doesn't hurt. So I, I am in the camp where I think that it's over. I think that he doesn't suit up again as a Viking, but we'll see. I could be wrong. There's another factor here in the contract um, with, with Hunter in, that's different than Dalvin Cook and Zadarius Smith and all these other guys that the Vikings kind of tried to get value for, but either could get very little or couldn't get value at all, Adam Thielen. And that's that all of those contracts were profitable to cut. That they were like, it, it mm-hmm. really, you know, was substantial cap savings to cut them. And then it was just obviously better to trade them. So that's an obviously better thing. But teams could kind of look at that and say, I'm going to call your bluff. You're cutting him. And then we're going to, you know, take our chances on the free yes. market. That is Great not point. the case at all with Daniil Hunter. Daniil Hunter saves like four and a half million. You get nothing. You get a bunch of dead cap in 2024 anyways, because we're after June 1st now. It's substantially inefficient. Like it is horrible Mm -hmm. to cut Daniil Hunter. It would be better to let Daniil Hunter hold out on the books and just like leave next year, honestly. It's really bad to cut Daniil Hunter. Um, So that leverage doesn't exist in the trade market anymore. And so you can't have teams come in and saying, hey, we'll give you a third. And remember, the the nature of the report is that teams are calling the Vikings, not that the Vikings are calling teams. That is extraordinarily important to distinguish. Um, I just don't see a team coming up for for a guy for the same reasons the Vikings are being stingy about it. You know, if if he were worth, you know, two first round picks, the Vikings probably would have already extended him. It's like, you have to have this like dissonance where he's like not worth mm-hmm. extending, but he's also worth a first round pick. Like, is he good or not? You know, and yeah. he's good. Just do it. I, I think th- there is a, a criticism that I, uh, that is brewing for me with Quasi that comes in with this Daniel Hunter thing. And it's, it's, it's commitment issues. I understand that you've got your time horizon and, and you've got like whatever your plan is for 2025, but 2025 is coming. Like that's a, a year away now. Uh, or two years away now, like we need to have at least some understanding at this point of like who's on the team and why shouldn't it be Daniel Hunter? He's not old. He'll he'll be 31, two years. From, he's 29. Like he's yeah. not ancient. And, and yeah, and this is not cornerback or running back. Pass rushers can be effective in their early 30s. Darius showed us as much. And yeah, I, I wouldn't say that. And I've been one who's brought up the commitment issues a lot, not necessarily as a criticism, more so as a modus operandi, like, okay, this is interesting. This is how this guy operates. Has he given an existing player a multi-year contract yet? Beyond a one-year extension, has he given a a previous player money to come back for multiple years? Am I forgetting it? Bradbury. Garrett Bradbury, thank you. (laughs) The one that everybody wanted and remembers. That's uh, that's wild. The longest term in-house deal goes to Garrett Bradbury. Is very it, cuttable. Yeah. Very cuttable and, and after that, one year, though. And that might not even count because he was te- he like technically hit free agency. So it depends on how yeah. you want to like play that. But yeah, I, he's got he's like commit to if you're not going to commit to Daniel Hunter, you know. And, and I I'm curious to see how whatever this Jefferson extension. I'm also curious to see if Jefferson shows up to mandatory minicamp. I for the same reasons as Hunter, I certainly wouldn't blame him or Hawkinson if if those two guys didn't. There's a lot of money on the line. Don't get hurt. Um, but I'm curious to see you know if this is a, a true like a five year let's do it you know two hundred million dollars value kind of like let's just go crazy kind of deal or is this going to be like three years and an option and all that? Like how commit if Mm -hmm. ever there were a player to blindly throw all your chips on and commit to whatever he wants so that, you know, four years down the line, you have a good deal. That's really the, the advantage of a five-year contract is right. That the cap goes up and then suddenly that number doesn't look as big later in the deal. If ever there were a player (laughs) where you could hang your hat on him being a good contributor in three or four years, it is Justin Jefferson. So if we don't get that with Quasey, 
then I think we have this idea that, oh, this is just going to be a team of like all temporary rentals all the time. And I don't know if that's the strategy I would want, but it feels like a very stock trader way to do it. Yeah, no, that's interesting. That's, that's well laid out by you. Uh, before we got derailed by the breaking news, we were doing nerdy stats of the day. Here's mine. It's not related to Daniil necessarily. It's just that the uh, I looked at examples in the last six, seven years to see if there were any wild success stories of defenses that went from bottom two in yards allowed, which the Vikings were last year, and skyrocketed up to like top five. There's one example. Do you want to guess what it was? I do. They were bottom two, and then they went up to top five. They were, in fact, last in yards allowed, and they went to top five the next year. Was there a coaching change involved? No. Can I get can I get that? There, no, there, there was not. There was not a coach or coordinator change. That is fascinating. Mm-hmm. I have utterly no idea. I was going to try to guess, but I got nothing. Last year's Jets. Oh. Yeah, get a corner. Get sauce. Get saucy. Yep. They didn't they had the best corner in the league. They had a <laughs> they have a spicy roster. Like it's I feel like yeah. the Jets defense ro- defensive roster sh- like that was a long time coming, you know. And I'll tell you what, they didn't get there by subtracting a lot of pieces and having nobody in the secondary. Like that wasn't the their strategy. Space. Say that again. But the cap space. I yeah. thought having a lot of cap space gave you a great defense. Please do not look at the Bears. Yeah, Vikings can maybe aspire to do that next year. I don't think I don't think there's a radical uh, 28th spot improvement this year coming, but uh, but we'll no. see. You, nerdy stat, Braun, you got one? Uh, I did have one, and then I lost it. Hang on. It was about, yeah, it was about rush yards over expectation is a stat that we've been using a lot. Uh, it's Dalvin Cook is like the second worst running back last year in rush yards over expectation. A lot of people are saying, you know, this is the reason he was cut. This is why, uh, you know, you shouldn't buy into him in fantasy uh, right now. And and that his value is super deflated and all of that stuff. And I wanted to push back on that a little bit. For one, he was cut because he was going to cost $14 million. That That's what led us to the, we're either going to trade you or cut you, or you're going to take a pay cut. And then all, you know, things kind of play out from there, depending on what everybody wants. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to also just mention that the R squared, which is the, typical statistical way of kind of measuring a uh, metrics relationship to itself and like the strength of that relationship. So you have a, a correlation, you know, Hey, rush yards over expectation correlates this well to rush yards over expectation next year. But the strength of that correlation, essentially how close all the dots are to the line on the graph uh, is abysmal. Uh, it's horrible, even by football standards, which football stats have notoriously low R squares. It's a noisy game. Um, in one season, I uh, I'm giving this to a guy named Greer NFL, who does tweets a lot about analytics. Um, the R squared is about three point four percent. Compare that to something like completion percentage over expectation, a really well regarded quarterback stat. The one season R squared is. 22%, which in the world of stats, like that wouldn't be accepted on a grad thesis, but mm-hmm. for football, that's about as good as we get. Um, you can't get up to those numbers until you get four seasons in, you get 26% of an R squared. Um, so I think rush yards over expectation can only be that informative about a running back over more than single year samples, probably three or four year samples is is the only responsible way to really engage with that statistic. And to be honest, over a four year span, so much changes. I mean, think how different the Vikings are now than they were in 2019 going into the 2019 season. Right. Um, that it's it's also difficult to like come away with major conclusions that way, too. It's just a little bit too noisy of a game for that kind of thing. And I think the idea of of measuring a running back based on the amount of yards each play gets is I, measuring any singular member of a run game by that is just going to lead you with more problems than solutions. Yeah. All that to say, Dalvin Cook could have a good year this year. Noisy game. Yeah, right. Could, he could have could a happen. great rush yards over expectation next year. That stat kind of doesn't have the the ability to stabilize out year over year that's essentially what that r squared metric is telling you 
Don't know who's going to sign him to this reportedly huge deal he wants, though. That That's why he's still unsigned, it sounds like, is that he wants mm-hmm. a, like, market rate deal for like an elite running back. Um, and that's why it was so difficult for the Vikings to trade him. Those are the reports the bet he made. And he will probably, if that's the expectation for him, he might be sitting there for a little bit, but uh, he's got time. He's, he's chilling now. He's hanging out. Let me reserve. Uh, we'll talk more about that. Maybe on Thursday when Arif and Luke uh, Inman join us again, I also want to reserve this for Thursday. If Kirk cousins gets hurt, and we can play this out at various points of the season, whether it's preseason, week yeah, five, this is week uh, 10. Mid-August, interesting question. Which quarterback would you want? Jaron Hall or Nick Mullins? Which backup would you want in the driver's seat? Think about that, Luke. It's Thursday. Yeah. I mean, they're they're competing for it, right? And I think right now Nick Mullins is with the twos, Jaron Hall is with the threes, and it's on Jaron Hall to sort of upset that status quo. Um, a lot of camp to go, but I, I would love to see a preseason game or two because I think that that is... Mm-hmm. I don't have an obvious answer for that one. I guess I would default to Mullins. He's the veteran. Go with that until the rookie proves otherwise. You've uh, got 72 hours to change your mind. 72 hours <laughs> yes. to think about it, dwell okay. on it. Um, well, maybe I'll just come in super unserious and just be a Jaron Hall stand, which I am. I love Jaron Hall, but I like Nick Mullins too. I, I I don't hate either option, I guess. And which one? I don't know. More info needed right now. Minnesota football party is every weekday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then the round table is kind of a blend of all of our shows here on Locked on Sports Minnesota. You can find all of it on YouTube for free. Subscribe, please. Free and available wherever you get podcasts. Amazon Fire, Roku, and now the Sirius XM app. Search Locked On Sports Minnesota and also find the hometown broadcast there like the Twins Brewers game tomorrow night at 6.40 p.m. Just search Twins. Luke, good stuff. He's at Luke Braun NFL. I'm Sam Ekstrom at Sam Ekstrom on Twitter. Back tomorrow, Luke Inman rejoins on the Minnesota Football Party on Locked On Sports Minnesota. See you tomorrow. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.